Please turn with me in your Bibles this morning then to the our text which comes from the Gospel of Mark. We're looking at Mark chapter 11 and verses 12 to 14. Mark chapter 11 and verses 12 to 14. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 to 14. Brothers and sisters, hear with me then the reading of God's Word. And on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Now usually I don't like to tell personal anecdotes from behind the pulpit. But I have one today that I'm going to start out with because I think it will help to to reinforce uh, the message and what Jesus is teaching us here today. Okay, And so many of you know that my family and I recently went on a, a vacation. We took a trip down to Cleveland. And if there's anything that you have to first understand about me when I, when I take family vacations and we drive, is I don't look at driving as something that's fun. To me, driving is a mission. I know what time we're leaving, and I have set a time in my mind that we are going to arrive, and I do not like to do anything that will cause us to slow down or stop so that we do not meet the destination at the time that I have set. Okay? So with that being said, we are about an hour's out from Cleveland. We're making great time. And I I look down and I see that we are under a quarter tank of gas. I'm like, we need some gas. And if you know anything about as you travel in cross country, you know, there's signs for a gas station. Then they usually will tell you, you the next gas station is 30 or 40 miles ahead. And so as we approach one gas station, I'm under a quarter tank. I say to myself, now I'm going to, I'm going to push it. I think I can, I think I can make it. And I I don't want to stop. I don't want to slow us down. We're making, we're making good timing. And so I, I, I blow past the one gas station in hopes of making it to the other. Now, as I'm driving, the, the needle is getting further and further down, and it's almost to empty, and the light's about to pop on, and I'm starting to get scared. But all of a sudden, I see the, the gas station sign. There it is, and it's bright lights. And I see the, the gas pumps there. And inwardly, I'm thinking, you know, I'm patting myself on the back. Perfect timing. You know, you, you did quite well, Noah. But to my dismay, as I approached the gas station, what I seen was that every single pump was roped off and there was no gas there. I asked the attendant, where's the nearest gas station? And he said, 40 miles away. Now, 
to not leave you in suspense so that you hear everything else I'm going to say. I'm going to tell you how it concluded. We ended up finding gas by, by God's grace. We didn't end up running out. We got there a lot later though, okay? So with that being said, the point of all of that is to say when I seen the gas station, right, I was never so happy to see one. Because I assumed as I drove up to the gas station that the gas station was going to provide for me the thing that it advertised, which was gas. It was going to give me fuel for my car. But to my disappointment, the time I need gas, and the one gas station I pull up to, it had no gas. And at that moment, I thought to myself, what good is this gas station if it does not have gas? Right? It's a waste. It doesn't have the one thing that it was built to provide, which was gas. The gas station was big, it was beautiful, it was new. They had nice snacks and drinks you could buy, restrooms you could use. But a gas station, the one thing that's really important to a gas station is gas. And it had none of it. It was missing the one thing you would expect to find. And so that gas station was useless to me. Right? It was of no use to me. And this is really the point that Jesus is getting to in our text today. The leaves on the fig tree were a sign that it had figs on it. The leaves on the tree were a sign that it had fruit. But as Jesus approaches it to inspect it, what He finds is it has none. And so it is useless. It is a fruitless tree. Not being able to provide the one thing that it was created to provide. Now what you have to understand at the very outset to comprehend what is taking place in our text today is you have to understand the season of the fig tree in the time that we are talking about. Okay, So the fig tree would start to produce these figs very early on at the end of March and the beginning of April. But that means that they would not be ripe and they would not be edible until June. Now, in our text today, we are in the month of April as Jesus is headed to Jerusalem for the Passover. And the Passover occurs in the month of April. And so normally, someone wouldn't walk up to a fig tree at this time thinking that it had fruit, which is why in verse 13 we're told that it was not the season for figs. But with this tree, with the fig tree, what would happen is the the figs would be produced on the tree first. And then the leaves would follow. So that it would appear that this tree in our text was maybe an abnormal tree. It was a, is an early bloomer as it already had leaves on it. Which makes perfect sense to us, doesn't it? Why Jesus then would walk up to the tree thinking that it had fruit. Because the leaves were a sign that it had figs. But what we find as Jesus approaches the tree is that it is barren, that it is fruitless. That although it appeared big and beautiful and ready for the picking, it did not have the fruit that should have been present. It was empty of the food that it was supposed to bear. And so in this instance, Jesus sees the perfect opportunity to turn this lack of fruit on this tree into a teaching lesson of sorts. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus was not angry with the tree. He did not get frustrated with the tree and so he kind of zapped it out of his anger and frustration as many people believe. But rather, he very carefully and thoughtfully 
acted out a parable in sorts and did not allow this moment to go to waste. But instead, He taught the disciples an important lesson. And that is the importance of bearing spiritual fruit in your lives. And this is still an important lesson. A vitally important lesson today, is it not, for each and every one of us here. As we live in a country that likes to confess the name of Christ, but it lacks fruit. Shows very little to no fruit. And so our text today serves really as a, as a stern warning to tell us what will happen to those who appear outwardly as believers, but who demonstrate no fruit in their lives. And so we are going to look at this text then under three main points. Okay? We're going to look under this text under three main points. And the three points are this. First is fruit expected. Fruit expected. Point number two is fruit missing. Fruit missing. And point number three, the result of fruitlessness. The result of fruitlessness. So fruit expected, fruit missing, the result of fruitlessness. So look with me please once again starting in verse 12. On the following day when they came from Bethany, He, that is Jesus, was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, He went to it to see if He could find anything on it. Now, if you recall from last week, we said that this last third of Mark's Gospel covers the last week of Jesus' life. And so last week we said we were in Sunday. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was on Sunday. The following day, Monday, after waking up uh, in Bethany, Jesus is now headed back to Jerusalem. And that is where our text picks up today. And so we're told that as he is on the road, he, he spots in some distance a fig tree in leaf. And we said it's very important to understand the fig tree was in leaf. That is important. Jesus doesn't just walk up to a tree out of season expecting to find fruit from it because it gave no indication that it had fruit on it. The fact that it was in leaf is the reason that He walks up to the tree expecting to find fruit. Right? Because the fullness of its leaves indicated to Him it had fruit on it. And so He was expecting to find fruit on the tree. And so he, when he walks over to the tree and he inspects it, and he, he finds that it is barren. It becomes the perfect object to use to illustrate to the apostles and to really all of us, all of God's people, how important it is to bear fruit in keeping with your profession of faith. How important it is to bear fruit in keeping with the profession of your faith. And so in walking up to this tree and in looking at it, what we have... Jesus doing this acted out parable, which Mark records for us, is teaching us, His church, that Jesus is near us. Jesus is very present with us. Jesus knows us. He knows each and every one of you sitting here today. He knows what you are thinking. He knows what is in your heart. And when He searches us, what this teaches us is that He expects to find fruit. 
when Jesus searches us, he expects to find fruit. Now, what the fig tree really is in our text is it's emblematic for the nation of Israel. Right? The fig tree is emblematic of the nation of Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel is oftentimes compared to the fig tree or the, or the fruit of the fig tree. And I'll give you two quick examples. First is found in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13, where the Lord declares this, When I would have gathered them, that is Israel, declares the Lord, there were no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. In Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, we are told this, Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. But they came to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to a thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. Right? So you see, Israel is compared to the fig tree. Israel is like the fig tree as in the sense that they, they bore no fruit as this fig tree did not bear any fruit. And yet, they should have been rich in fruit, shouldn't they have? Israel should have, been, should have been rich in fruit. And this is what Jesus was expecting to find as He walks amongst the Israelites during His earthly ministry. And why do you think Jesus would expect to find fruit within the nation of Israel? Why do you think that? How about because they were God's chosen nation? How about because the Messiah descended from their line? How about for the fact that it was God who delivered Israel from the hands of the Egyptians? Or that they had seen firsthand God's power in defeating their enemies? That they bore witness to the fact that God had brought them into the promised land of Canaan that He told Abraham that He would? Perhaps He expected to find much fruit within the nation because they were the ones to whom the, the law of God was written on tablets of stone by the very finger of God? Or how about because they were the natural descendants of Abraham? And as natural descendants, they were in covenant with God. How about for the fact that they were the ones who were given the temple? That they were given the sacrificial system? That they had the priests who, atoned, who made atonement for their sins in the temple every year so that they could dwell in the presence of God? They were given all these types, Israel was, in order to continually point them to Christ, in order to continually show them their need for the Savior and to look for that once and for all sacrifice who was to come in the person of Christ. They were the people who were given every advantage that no other nation was given. They had the prophets. They had the oracles of God which should have been enough to them to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. They should have ran towards Jesus when they heard Him preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom during His earthly ministry because of all that God had blessed them with prior. This is why Jesus was amongst the nation and believing that they ought to have fruit and yet seeing no fruit in them. But brothers and sisters, just because the fig tree is emblematic of the nation of Israel, does not mean that it is any less significant for you and I today. 
For it is the church today that is the true Israel of God. It is the church that has been given the full and complete Word of God in the 66 books of the Bible. It is the church that has been given the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. It is we who have been brought into communion with God through the new covenant in the blood of Christ. It is we who dwell in the presence of the Lord every single Lord's Day as we partake in that heavenly worship with the angels and the saints. And so today, brothers and sisters, like Israel then, we have been given every advantage to know God. And so He expects to find fruit amongst His church. And He has every right to, doesn't He? He has every right to. Think about it in this way. If you ever purchase something, let's say you're a parent and you wanted to to give your children musical lessons. And so you purchase uh, piano lessons, let's say, or violin lessons. You expect to see fruit from that, don't you? I pay this much money for these many lessons and I expect to see some fruit coming back from that. I expect my kids to be able to play those instruments. Now think about Christ. The eternal Son of God in all of His glory comes down in the form of a lowly servant, suffers. And we see that suffering in our text today through His hunger. He suffered hunger just like you and I suffer hunger. And then, horribly and horrifically, suffered a crucifixion on the cross, purchasing the saints not with money or gold or silver, but with His very own blood. And if you and I expect to see fruit from something we purchase, how much more do you think Christ expects to see fruit from that which He purchased by His precious blood? And the fruit that He expects to see is the fruit of repentance and faith. He expects to find a people zealous for good works. He expects to find a people who love Him and who love His people. He expects to find a people who desire to be in daily communion with Him in prayer and in reading the Word of God. He expects to find a people who love to be in church every Lord's Day. He expects to find a people who find joy and delight in singing His praises. He expects to find people who want to come to church to minister to and to build up and to encourage their brothers and sisters in the faith. He expects to find people who would walk in all humility and submission before His will. He expects that like Christ, we would love the law of God. That we would be rich in works of mercy. That we would forsake sin and our friendship with the world and all that that entails. That we would daily be pursuing holiness by the power of the Spirit. That we would exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, gentleness, self-control. That we would be quick to forgive. That we would be at peace with one another. For brothers and sisters, He purchased us with the expectation that we who are His followers would be made like unto Him. That is why He purchased us. And so we must see the importance of bearing fruit and then in using those means God gives us to continue to bear more of it. Because this is what he expects to find when he searches his church. 
Now this takes us then to point number two this morning, which is fruit missing. We're told that Jesus approaches this seemingly beautiful, big fig tree arrayed in all of its leaves. But what does He find? He finds that it is empty. In verse 13 we read, And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, He went to see if He could find anything on it. When He came to it, He found nothing but leaves. Now again, remember, we said the fig tree is emblematic for the nation of Israel. And so upon inspection, outwardly the fig tree appeared lively and beautiful, but upon closer examination, what does he find? That it lacked fruit and that the tree essentially lied. The leaves declared to all who passed by. The leaves declared to all who looked upon it that it had fruit, but it had none. And isn't this the case with the scribes and the Pharisees that we've been reading about in the Gospel of Mark and that you read about throughout all of the Gospels? They were a proud people because they had the law. They were arrogant in declaring their father to be Abraham. They were happy that that they had the temple of God. But what did they do with all these things that they boasted of? They perverted the law of God twisting it, binding the consciences of God's people where they were not, where they should not have done. They corrupted the temple by buying and selling within God's holy place. Also, they dishonored Abraham by not doing what Abraham did, but rather seeking to kill Christ, the one who Abraham longed for and believed in. The scribes and the Pharisees were the spiritual elite of Israel. They outwardly were beautifully arrayed. They were precise in their religion. They were strict in their observance of the law, which appeared before all others that they had this great zeal for God. They were the ones that people went up to. They were the ones people sought out for answers. But what was outwardly beautiful was betrayed by what was inwardly true of them. Right? They were liars because what was inwardly true of them is that they were spiritually bankrupt. They were spiritually empty. And so as people were coming up to them, spiritually hungry, looking to be nourished, asking them questions, all they did was leave the people empty and worse off than they were before. This is what we are told in Matthew's Gospel. I ask if you would please turn with me there. Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 13. Here Jesus is pronouncing the woes against the scribes and the Pharisees. And starting in verse 13, we we read this, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you yourselves. Look down at verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. 
You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, brothers and sisters, the scribes and the Pharisees loved the show of religion. They loved what their religion was able to garner them. right? Power, notoriety, prestige, money. But their religion was cold. It was a cold religion. A heartless religion. One that was outwardly just formal, it was just formality. It was, it was outward and bare. It was an outward show. It was a performance that was full of empty customs and, and vain traditions. They thought because they professed God before men and they followed the law of God that God was pleased with them. But their profession was a lie. And you know why it was a lie? Because they bared no fruit. They Israel, like the fig tree, was empty, bare, and fruitless. Jesus was looking to find fruit in keeping with the kingdom of God. But all He found on Israel was leaves. And you know how we know this? Because in just a few days' time, the Israelites will have the opportunity to free Christ from His crucifixion as Pilate will bring them before the crowd, offer to release them, and they will cry out and shout all the more, crucify Him! Crucify Him! And so I ask every single one of you here today, I especially ask the members here at Covenant Baptist Church, that when God looks at you, when He closely examines and searches you, and assuredly He will, Will He find fruit in you? Will He find fruit in you? Will He find the fruit of the kingdom of grace in your life? Or will He find that you are living a lie, professing yourself to be a believer, but are unfruitful? Because don't be deceived. Don't be de- you cannot deceive the Lord. He knows um, among us all here today who it is who outwardly professes Christ, but inwardly bears no fruit. And it's not enough just to have the leaves of profession. It's not enough to have the leaves of profession. You must have the fruit of faith. You must have Christ's righteousness, patience, humility, self-denial, holiness, love for God, love for one another, all which proceed out of true faith in Christ. For those who by, who truly by faith have come to be made a child of God, you in fact cannot help but to be like Christ. You cannot but help to obey His commandments because you are led by His Spirit. Which means then you love and cannot help but to show up to church every Lord's Day wanting to worship your God. You cannot help but to read your Bible and pray every day in order to be in communion with God. You cannot help but to forsake sin and hate the things that God hates. Which is all manner and forms of sin. Sexual immorality. 
idolatry, adultery, covetousness, lying, murder, envy. All the things which Paul says, the unrighteous practice. All things that everyone here, prior to conversion to one degree or another, practiced ourselves. But what does Paul say? These things are no longer to characterize the Christian. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 6-11, to Paul says this, And such were some of you, and speaking about these sins, and such were some of you, as he's addressing believers. But he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so everyone here, today, I call upon you to examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Do I live? Do I think? Do I act? Do I believe? Like the ungodly, God-hating, vile world that we live in today. Or do I live? Do I think? Do I act? Do I believe like one who has been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, true faith brings forth fruit and not leaves. True faith brings forth fruit and not leaves. If you do not here today have fruit in keeping with the kingdom of God, then your profession of faith does you no good. Your coming to church does you no good. Your prayers do you no good. Your tithing does you no good. Your Bible reading does you no good. And in fact, in outwardly professing the name of God, and yet living like an unbeliever, bearing no fruit, all you do is multiply the grievous nature of your sin. And all you do in that is provoke the wrath of God upon you even more. This then takes us to point number three, which is the result of fruitlessness. Please, brothers and sisters, look with me at verse 14. And He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. What we have here, brothers and sisters, is really a foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing of the judgment that is going to come upon Israel for their fruitlessness. In Matthew 21, and this is Matthew's parallel account of, of Jesus in the temple that we'll look at next week. In Matthew 21, as Jesus is being challenged by the chief priests in the temple, He responds to their challenge of His authority in verses 42 and 43 saying this, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in your eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to another and wait for it, who produce its fruits. He tells Israel, the kingdom is going to be taken from you and given to another who produces its fruits. You see, I want every one of you to understand 
how important the question of fruitfulness in your life is. Because the opposite of it, the opposite of fruitfulness is fruitlessness. And fruitlessness, brothers and sisters, spells death. Fruitlessness means eternal life apart from the gracious, loving, kind, compassion, merciful presence of God in eternal hellfire forever where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched and the only presence you will have of God is God in His wrath. And just as the fig tree withered and died, never having the opportunity again to produce fruit, so it is for the unfruitful one who lives in this day and age. You do not get a mulligan, brothers and sisters. You do not get a do-over. Once you die, it is over. It is complete. It is finished. And so if you want to continue to remain stiff-necked or hard-hearted against the Lord, if you want to continue to not heed His Word and say, ah, I'm a good person. God will... He'll let me into heaven. Be warned by the text this morning that the judgment that is foreshadowed on the fig tree is the same judgment that is foreshadowed that will come to all who do not repent of their sin, place their trust in Christ, and live fruitfully unto Him today. Do not deceive yourselves. You cannot be the same person you were prior to conversion that you are post-conversion. If you are, then you are a liar and the truth is not in you. For if you have been truly converted, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. And it is the very Spirit of God who works in you to do the will of God. It is the very Spirit of God who works in you and transforms you to be into the image of God. If you have the Spirit of God inside of you, He will sanctify you. He will make you new. He will give you a new will. He will give you a new mind. He will cause you to die to your old life and live in newness of life. Bearing the fruit of the kingdom of God for which you were saved for. And so I encourage every single one of you here today, everyone, believer and unbeliever alike, repent for your unfruitfulness. For the believer, repent that you have not been fruitful enough for your Lord. Don't be happy with the, with the little fruit that you bear. And instead, turn to Christ. Call out to Him. Plead that He would increase your fruitfulness and make use of God's means of grace, which means being at church, right? participating in the sacraments, which is a means by which our faith is strengthened. And that we gain a fuller assurance of faith. Seek God's glory in your life and in all things, not your own. And you seek God's glory through faith in Christ and obedience to God's Word. Yet for those of you then here today who may be concerned about the judgment that you hear about that is going to come upon those who do not show show fruit, know this, that the God of heaven and earth delights in showing mercy to sinners. The God of heaven and earth delights in showing mercy to sinners. As we are told, after He curses the fig tree, as He speaks this curse to the fig tree, we're told the disciples heard it. This is important. Don't just let it pass by. The disciples heard it. 
And so you ought to pray for ears to hear as well. You ought to pray for ears to hear the warning of Christ and to flee to Him who alone saves. Understanding that although many of the Jews were guilty and complicit in putting Christ to death, what we see is Christ still has compassion on many within the nation of Israel, does He not? We see an example of this. A great example in Peter's sermon at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, we read this, Men of Israel, hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst. You know this Jesus yourselves, whom you crucified and killed. Yet He preaches this Gospel to them. And what is their response? In verse 37, we are told, they are cut to the heart. And they say, Brother, what shall we do? And Peter responds, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you will be given the Holy Spirit. And we are told that on that day, three thousand souls were added to the church. And the same mercy that God showed the men of Israel this day is the same mercy that God shows to you through the preaching of the Word this morning. And so I call upon each and every one of you to hear it. Hear it. Hear these words. Repent and believe in Christ for it is not yet too late. It is not yet too late to place your faith and trust in Christ and to start bearing fruit for Him. As fruit is really a testimony. right? It's evidence to yourself and to others that by grace and through faith, you have been truly saved. And to all here who believe but show little fruit, hear the message as well. Don't be complacent with showing little fruit any longer. But turn and cling to Christ. Cry out for His strength. Plead His mercy for greater fruit bearing in your life. Because it is He, ultimately, who is the one who produces the fruit in His saints. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we confess our sin before You this morning upon hearing these words. How unworthy we are of Your grace and mercy. How unfruitful we are. How unworthy we are. And yet, Father, how merciful You are to us in showering us with Your grace and Your love and Your compassion and Your kindness, showing pity towards sinners. We pray, Father, for those here who do not believe that You would take out their heart of stone and You would give to them a heart of flesh for You. We pray for those who believe today that You would grant to us greater fruitfulness in our life, that You would give to us a zeal to be fruitful for Christ, that we would not be happy with the little that we have. Father, we pray that You would open our our ears this morning, allow us to hear, that the Spirit would teach us all that He would have us to learn, and that He would work within our lives this week to produce those things which we have learned. And we ask this all in Christ's name we pray. Amen.